There's a lot of podcasts and YouTubers out there already tearing apart various forms of media. I myself have been guilty of that. It's already oversaturated with a lot of negativity. So why don't we talk about the movies and music we love instead? This is For the Love of Media. like while you're talking so it's like you oh, don't yeah. cut out but it, it sounds very um roboticy if that makes sense oh boy okay you sound like um, a robot is what i'm saying hang on maybe if i just switch positions here uh, no i think it's a connection uh, thing but i don't know if it's on my end or your end that's a problem yeah because I've been having weird internet issues, too, on my end. Like, sometimes it just cuts out for some reason. Like, I was on, uh, when I was in the murder mystery on Saturday, my internet just cut out, and I was kicked out of Zoom. <laughs> so I had to rejoin. But it it, it, it kind of worked out, because my character was known for going to the bathroom a lot anyway. So, <laughs> so that, like, kind of worked out. Like, oh, he's in the bathroom again, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm just gonna get a a drink. Uh, okay. I think I think I'm gonna need one for the, but not an alcoholic drink. But like, <laughs> like uh, this book uh, confused me so much, man. I need a freaking drink. Yeah, I, uh, good. I got only one way to do this. If I was drunk, then I could talk about the book. Okay. So, hey, welcome to another episode of For the Love of Media. Yeah. I'm Osco. I'm Vishesh. And today, today we're Vish- talking. <laughs> oh, go you go ahead. Vish- Vishesh picked this one, so I'm letting him take charge. All right. So for this episode for the Love Media, we are going to talk about and examine a book that uh, has meant a lot to me over the years and that has uh, that has changed uh, with each in impact with each successive reading, as all great books do. And that book is Ursula Le Guin's masterpiece, The Left Hand of Darkness. Yay. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan, would you like to give your first impressions? <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so <laughs> sorry. Um, my my first exposure to this book was a uh, sci-fi literature class I took back. Uh, when I was at Concordia. Um, oh, yeah. I remember that. Class. Yeah. And it, uh, and uh, just like any literature class, uh, I didn't read like 75% of the books that <laughs> we were supposed to read. Um, come on. Who really reads? You probably. Did you read all the books in any of your like in, English or literature classes? Uh, in all, in two that I took as electives, my the science fiction class and the satire class. Um, yeah, all the rest. I, there was always, there was always one or two books that I just, uh, I left out. Because, okay. Well, you, yeah. it's one or two books. Me, it's a eight or nine books that I left out. <laughs> um, and left-handed darkness was, uh, one of those books on our uh, itinerary that, uh, I didn't read. Um, but I did read some books. I read clockwork orange, which, uh, oh, yeah. which is our favorite, uh, <laughs> For reasons, for I should clarify that um, it is our favorite, not for uh, not for as it, the, its aesthetic brilliance, but uh, for the fact that um, 
the prose is uh, very easy to poke fun at since it makes no flippant sense. Yeah, it's it's it. You have no idea what they're saying. Basically, the whole book. So yeah, it's very um, yeah. It's it's uh, it's quite bizarre. And I read Time Machine because it was uh, a small book and easy to read. Ah, uh, yes. And I started reading Trouble on Triton, but uh, didn't get around to finishing it until a few months ago. I still had all these books from my sci-fi class, and I'm mm. like, you know what? As a completionist. I'm going to read all these books. I have them and I didn't read them, but I have them. So I'm going to read them all. And I ended up, so I read Trouble on Triton. I read Neuromancer and I started reading Left Hand of Darkness. And I'm kicking myself for that because the fact that I was reading it was you going like, hey, so why don't we do it for our next episode? (laughs) This is my fault. Well, hey, there's no time. There's no time like, covid quarantine to dive into the great some of the great classics of literature in any genre right i mean no for sure uh, but uh you know i'd like to talk about a book that i understand <laughs> <laughs> that that'd be a good one uh okay so to start i guess we should give our listeners a little bit of background as to um what the what the content of this this story actually is Please, um, I, you know what please do because i need it too okay so <laughs> um so the left hand of darkness is actually part of a larger cycle of books that Le Guin wrote they're not um they're not connected uh chronologically or anything but they all just happen to take place in the same shared universe it's called the hainish cycle wait wait wait, and wait. there's more there's more okay. yes there's there are many many more um, um question this you're is, not you're not going to suggest these for future episodes are you no okay no. cool le- thank you no. <laughs> there's some other good ones in there but the left hand of darkness is my personal favorite so you're 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 good you're home free <laughs> thank you thank um, you yes so uh the story takes place uh thousands and thousands some thousands of years in the future and the central character is an earthling male, er, an earthling cis male named Genli I, who is sent to a planet called Gethin as an envoy of the Ecumen, which is basically, uh, if you're a Star Trek fan, it's very much like the Federation, uh, basically sort of a united nations of, of planets, a uh, very loose confederation. And uh, so Genli goes to Gethin, uh, in order to try to convince the population of, of this planet to join the Ecumen. Uh, now, the problem, there are many challenges that come with this task as an envoy, um, one of which is that, uh, like many planets, Gethin is split up into a wide variety of nation-states. And these nation-states don't necessarily get along. Uh, you have Carhide, which is a, a very kind of old-style uh, monarchy, a very which runs on a very sort of feudal uh, system of power, and on the on the other hand, you have Orgarain, which is sort of, from what I understand, uh, Le Guin was um, much more inspired by various communist countries that have uh, that have been active around the world. So their power structure is very much um, ostensibly, in theory, driven by a sort of ideal of collectivism, uh, but of course. Corruption and, uh, and degrada- all kinds of governmental degradation have led to, uh, you know, 
the population basically stripped of their individualism and their identity and, uh, yeah. you know, work camps being, being set up uh, very much like uh, the gulags in Stalinist Russia. Um, wonderful, wonderful place to live. And so, and Karheide and Orgarain have been at odds for centuries, but without ever really erupting into a full-scale war on Gethin, which is interesting. Uh, in fact, when Genli arrives there, um, one of the other main characters, Estrovan, who is his, um, his friend and confidant, uh, who he has difficulty trusting at first, um, is actually trying to prevent a war over a border skirmish. Uh, the first full-scale war on Gethin. And the other difficulty that comes with this task as an envoy is that, um, <laughs> this is where it gets fun. Yeah. The Athenians are, uh, I guess you, I guess now in the within parlance of the time, we call them non-binary, but the wind calls them ambisexual. Uh, they have no fixed sex. So for a good portion of the month, uh, they are neither... In, in terms of their their biological makeup, they are neither male nor female. And except for a particular time of the month when they you, they basically uh, they're basically in heat or in kemmer, as it were. And when you're in this state, uh, you are they are desperate to find uh, someone to mate with. So it's a very high stakes, very stressful situation. Um, but it's very acute. It's very short. And Sounds uh, for, fun too. Yeah, right. <laughs> imagine, imagine dating on Gethin. Imagine oh. how <laughs> it's well, fraught enough on Earth, right? Imagine yeah. you know being a Gethinian and just trying to. Uh, but don't they have? Um, I don't remember the name, but they they do have a sort of uh, marriage thing where yes. they they give themselves to like a uh, they. Um, lock themselves in with a specific person. They yeah, you vow you vow chemery for life. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, that is their, basically their equivalent of of marriage, and yeah. So being a <laughs> being a cis man with a fixed a a fixed sex and a very you know for pretty firmly established gender identity, uh, Genli is kind of. Uh, he is he's very uh, confused when he arrives on Gethin. He feels very unmoored and he has to try and somehow navigate this uh, this environment, which is very which is very alien to him in every sense yeah. of the word. Well, especially and, since like all the people he's meeting, right? He's like, oh, they have a lot of like male features, but a lot of female features and he can never tell. Um, and that confuses him, right? Like he's always. Yeah in this perpetual state of like, I'm very confused because like they're giving off very feminine like energy, but they have like a masculine like voice or, yeah. or this one is like carrying themselves very masculine. But mm -hmm. uh, when they like talk to you, you get this feeling of like more of a feminine presence. So he's like, I don't, it's like, it's like completely like, frying his brain you know like the sh it's short-circuiting yeah. it completely where he's like uh, i don't understand like who, what are you who are you uh yeah and with all this i'm supposed to con i'm supposed to tell you that a that there are other worlds out there and b to try to convince you know the leaders of this the leaders of the society to join yeah with our uh, our federation um and yeah this is all of these interactions are just they're Guin's way of trying to take our assumptions about gender identity and yeah. our gender presentation and 
just completely turn them on their heads, right? Because, you know, um, the Gathenians have a sort of unspoken social code called Shif Grethor, which is basically... uh, Oh, please. Okay, okay. Thank God you come to this because, like, I feel like I got an idea of what it is, but for the life of me, like, they kept bringing it up and I didn't want to go back where the explanation of what Shif Grethor was. So please, please explain it to me. Uh, well, Shifgrethor comes from very old, I don't know if it's a Karhaidish or an Orgata word, but it means shadow. And it's basically, uh, <laughs> it's basically kind of like uh, an unwritten code of, of passive-aggressive, um, veiled communication where, you know, you say one, you say one thing, but you mean another. And, and Genli automatically, you know, with his, kind of sexist views you know automatically ascribes a sort of negative right a negatively feminine connotation to that uh, to that system but it it, in showing us these interactions the Gwyn is basically it's it's her way of trying to kind of upend a lot of uh upend a lot of thought conventions around gender presentation being like well what makes a particular mode of communication masculine or feminine yeah you know if if somebody with no fixed uh, sex or gender identity can exhibit aggressive uh, or, you know, um, what's the right, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, aggressive or diplomatic characteristics, you know, what, ab- what about that necessarily presents as, as masculine or feminine? Right. Right. Which um, is, it, it's kind of funny. Cause you know, you're bringing, you're mentioning the shift with about like, we say one thing, but mean something else. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just basic human bullshit, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, which, it's very... which there's no gender or sexuality to it whatsoever. Man and woman bullshit all the fucking time, you know? Yeah, and like every there, there's the constant like, it's, you know, my favorite one where somebody comes up to you and they're like, oh, my God, so nice to see you. But like they're dead behind their eyes. Like, yeah. So base, so basically anybody who works in customer service, tying it back to our previous episode on minimum wage work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, basically. Yeah. But that's different because it's like you're doing it for work compared to yeah. a social situation where. You're you're just trying to put on airs, right? Where you're trying to save face, be like, no, no, look at me. I am interested in you. I'm a totally nice person. <laughs> and it's like, no, like just the fact that you're parading around pretending to be a nice person actually makes you a pretty shitty person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there are so many, and I mean there's so many examples of that throughout the book. Um, but what's interesting is that, you know, while there are the there are sort of these um there's an interesting contrast between a character like Estravan, yeah. who um, is a minister to the king of Carhide. Yeah. And okay. Who, so uh, before we get into that, I have to say yeah. I I got so confused because <laughs> Estravan has like five freaking names in this book, and mm. they like acknowledge him by a different name at different parts of the book, and I got so I thought it was different people. <laughs> for a while until oh, I'm like wait a second I'm like this is the same person I'm like oh my god and that was another thing that like confused me was that a lot of things in the book in this story have multiple names mm-hmm. and yeah that really confused me especially since there's no like clear like appendix or like 
something just to clarify. It's, it's almost as if, well, it's almost as if it's written in a way that you should already understand just all of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is one thing that I I also wish she would have included because you know, I mean, there's a, I don't know if your edition has this, but my copy has uh, like a little thing about the Gathenian um, calendar and clock and how they work. Yeah. Mine Um, does. I didn't know until I finished the book. So too late, you know? Yeah. And I wish that, um, because there's so much, uh, there's so much rich uh, details about the different religions that Athenians follow. Um, and I just, I just wish that there could have been a little bit more, you know, <laughs> I mean, at least Tolkien was generous enough to provide a, a, a very detailed encyclopedic account of Middle Earth and the world that he created. So, yeah. I don't know, I, I kind of wish Le Guin would have done the same, if only yeah. because the world that she created is just as... Uh, as vivid and evocative and uh yeah you know i will give her credit for that like it never felt like she was making it up as she goes there it it felt very consistent as a world it was very clear that she had put a lot of planning and a lot of prep before writing this out because it it, Mm -hmm. as much as i was confused only because of all the different names and words and um you know just not understanding this world um at least there was a consistency to it that will that never felt like mm. there was any weird anomalies uh, of the world itself, you know, like in terms of just the foundations mm-hmm. of it. Uh, but it's funny that you bring up Tolkien because I know a lot of people complain that Tolkien is too wordy with his books, like he explains mm-hmm. too much. So it's like you're damned if you do and you damned if you don't like if she had done it that yeah. way we would have been like man she just explained shit for too much man and then she does it this <laughs> way we're like fuck i wish she would have explained a little more you know <laughs> there's like there's no yeah writing no winning uh writing writing science fiction and fantasy is hard it's really really hard oh yeah writing writing science fiction and fantasy is really really difficult and because you have to be so meticulous in your in your the way you craft your world and and Mm -hmm. you apply the rules of of that world so i i have immense respect for anybody who can who can write in those genres and write well yeah because uh you know it's it's, very tricky it's it's so there's it's crazy how much you have to put into it and yeah. even though you might not even use all of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's still good because you might mention it at some point. Um, on that, have you ever um have you ever done that? Any like world building like that for your own stuff? Uh a little bit. Yeah. Um, in fact, that yeah, some I find that um even for you know, for the plays that I write in which I t- I don't yeah, always tell, you know, I don't always go for science fiction and fantasy, but you know, with for the inner lives of my characters, I find that I have to do a bit of uh, I have to do a bit of uh, a little bit of like interior world building, I guess, to yeah. you know find out who they are and what drives them. And you know, if the if the if the play is taking place in an imagined setting, I'll definitely do more. Uh, <laughs> I'll definitely do more sketching and and uh, you know right. just plotting out what that uh, the history of that world and uh, i guess for those kind of plays that you write it, it because it, they live in the world that we kind of live in it makes it a little easier because you just picture you know like ontario or canada or montreal yeah. or which <laughs> is already mapped out for us thankfully <laughs> yeah yeah we have a whole wealth of uh 
we have an embarrassment of riches to draw on whole <laughs> wealth of details. <laughs> Oddly enough, when I was in uh, high school, especially I, I became really, I would find myself world building like a lot. Like I mapped mm. out this one time I had a story idea uh, that was kind of like uh, sort of medieval style and it was going to be role players, but acting out one of those like medieval stories, you know, about like yeah. banished people from the kingdom coming back to regain the throne, you know, revolution. Oh yeah. Um, and I had, but it was all role players and I had mapped out, like I drew a map of like the whole like kingdom and the different like areas of it. No, the different kingdoms. Yeah. So there was a the whole world and uh, the continent, I guess, and the different kingdoms in it. And each kingdom like represented sort of like one was a Shakespearean kingdom. One was like oh, Warcraft wow. one. So I like created all these, like, and this was me in high school. Like I'm, and I just remember this now that we were talking about it. I'm like, Holy crap. Like I, I can't believe it's, I actually did that. Like it's way back so then. much fun to do yeah. that. Yeah. I, I remember, put a I remember one time, it. sorry, you were saying, yeah, I just said, I put a lot of thought in it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's once you start, it's hard to stop. I mean, I remember once, one time in my, uh, in my last year of high school, um, we did a musical, um, you know, the musical once upon a mattress. I've heard the name. I think it's, you, uh, I think I've heard the name from you. Uh, it's <laughs> Back basically, when we were 16. <laughs> yeah. It's basically, it's, it's a musical adaptation, musical comedy adaptation of the princess and the pea. Um, oh, did, know, you, did she piss the bed? that would have been a very different play um but uh no she it's uh it was a very fun very silly kind of uh romp but my character was um my character was the wizard oh uh, oh dude okay okay i'm sorry yeah yeah i know the because the, the photo i dude i'm sorry but i have that photo saved on my phone because it's so yeah. amazing it's I, so great yeah, we've all seen the photo of me in the costume of the turban of the gray beard. Oh, but, dude, um, I love it. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. But I keep <laughs> it in my phone. And every time I like start dating someone, I'm like, hey, you want to see a picture of my best oh friend? Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, you know, and it's funny because, you know, for for that character, I actually ended up coming up with like this whole like rich backstory. And I I I ended up crafting a whole world for this uh behind the uh, the medieval kingdom of the play and its history yeah. and you know the you know there's a he 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 has this history with the jester's father so i was like what was their relationship actually like and i just i just went on and i wrote this like almost like almost sort of tolkien-esque appendix <laughs> to uh to the wizard's character and it was just uh i was just like oh yeah now i have this whole like history that i could draw on for my, for my performance yeah yeah um, add all that subtext to it right yeah which is funny because like he's only on stage for like a short amount of time <laughs> even better it's like within this, i have one line in this show but my well, character is gonna have this complex rich history like yeah. what led him to this point to say this why, one line i'm gonna that's why it's fun it's fun to play smaller roles because like yeah. you have more room to kind of play around with motivation and subtext. Oh, for sure as an actor that's uh that's that's uh 
Yeah, because great, you figure like if, if you have such a small role, at least let's make it as memorable as I possibly can make. It, yeah. Right. Which yeah. ends up being could end up being like the funniest character in the whole show. Like, yeah. oh, you only have three lines. But my God, when you came on and said those three lines. Woo! Yeah. It was funny because like in this like really bright, colorful, funny, silly adaptation of The Princess and the Pea, I had this like <laughs> I had this like really dark and complex like Lord of the Rings style backstory <laughs> for this character. Because of course you did. Because of course I did. Yeah. Uh, um, and I got to yeah, say, too, so- like I've, I'm experiencing um, my little trip into world building now with Bard and Mew. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I keep right. adding. I keep as I develop the story, I keep adding all these things to the point that I'm like, okay, I really have to map, map this out to figure it out, you know, cause I keep yeah. adding things and I don't want to get lost and confused other than stuff like, you know, like the whole calendar thing was a joke that I threw mm-hmm. in. Like, yeah. I'm not going to bring that up again. Like it was more just <laughs> to, cause I even say it right. There's like, I mentioned the calendar thing and then I'm like uh, something that means absolutely nothing to you. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, like, it's almost, uh, it's almost Monty Python-esque in, in that yeah. way because they bring, I mean, in the, in the Holy Grail, they, they bring up so many <laughs> little details and jokes and gags that like don't necessarily surface again. Yeah. Like, oh, sir, not appearing in this film. <laughs> hey, do you think um, when making the movie Pink Flamingos, John Waters had to <laughs> map it Oh my god! Yeah, I'm sorry. We I can't was wondering go an episode without mentioning it. So. <laughs> oh my god, that's gonna be our running gag now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how can uh, we? Uh, but uh, let's go back to Left Hand of Darkness. Yeah, back that. to the novel. Um, yeah. So, what were we? What were we talking about before we got on to? Uh, well, we were mentioning uh, because we mentioned like how she did all the world building. We wish she had explained a little more about it because yeah. yeah. Because, it really is like for me, for me, at least, who's not a big sci fi reader. And uh, I'm I'm also the kind of person that if I'm reading something that's too dense or there's too much jargon that I just don't know, I can't follow. I have a lot of difficulty following yeah. the story and I have a lot of uh, difficulty sort of catching on what's happening. And a, a story like this. I think you said it best where it's like, yeah, you're just kind of thrown into this world uh, with no sort of safety net. Right. You're just you're just yeah. thrown into the world and it's up to you to figure it out kind of thing, which, it, you know what, now that I'm thinking about it, it kind of works because uh, Genli, I had the same sort of experience he's thrown yeah. into this world without knowing much about it right yeah so and maybe it was done purposefully maybe i'll give her that i think it i think it was and the fact that and i i think the the nature of the the sometimes confusing nature of the world is she makes up for that by being able to craft really compelling and complex and kind of vivid characters i think that. I think that is honestly one of her biggest strengths. And, you know, for me, the chapters that are always the most engaging, that always kind of pull me along the the, the best are the ones with, uh, are any chapters with Genli and Estrovin. Yeah. And it, yeah. the second half of the book, when they're on the, they're on the ice, they're going oh. on this long oh, journey together. Man. And they, they come to an understate, they, they slowly come to this understanding um, and their relationship changes, and, 
I think with with this with these two characters, she's achieved something very interesting that I don't think I can't think of any other major sci-fi work that's that's managed to replicate this because science fiction is very very concerned with the macro of of things. You know, right. it's always it's very concerned with you know. Uh, how different political systems shape the lives of so many people, how technology runs our lives and the nature of the nature of humanity as we, you know, become cyborgs, you know, whatever the things, uh, huge, sweeping, vast concerns. Yeah. And sometimes that tends to come at the expense of human, human relationships uh, and relationships between characters. And I think, and what she's managed to do is to, with this novel, with Genli and Estrovan, is to have the micro be a, a, a very uh, vivid reflection of the macro. So, you know, you have these, you have two people of different species, one an earthling and one an alien, one of a fixed gender identity and one with no, no discernible gender identity or, or no fixed sex at all except for a certain portion of the month and they're trying to they're both trying to grasp at each other's way of seeing the world yeah and you know they're both trying desperately to to come to some sort of 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 common understanding of one another because this that's what has to happen in order for this union between worlds to happen and you know she's managed to craft something that is so deeply personal and intimate but that also carries the highest possible stakes yeah because no, i i agree because like yeah especially like you said all those scenes with just the two of them in the tent uh talking uh, i remember after reading one part we had that discussion right about that yeah. one conversation where they were talking about uh the sort of duality of all of it, like mm-hmm. how, you know, uh, Estrovan's people, uh, they're always two things kind of at once, right? They're never yeah. one or the other. It's always kind of both. And then of course that ties into the whole title itself, which I had to dig to do some, uh, research yeah. to truly understand it. But yeah, it's, uh, the left hand of darkness, right hand of light, right. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's a yin and yang, uh, coming together to, to become one. And yeah. that sort of duality working together and uh, Genli I trying to wrap his head around this whole idea based on their people. And I, there was a conversation, too, that they were having about this sort of loss of individualism. Mm-hmm. Right. If I'm not yeah. mistaken. And how it, and it was it's interesting because it, the, when they were having the conversation, trying to understand each other, there's very much this idea of not one or the other is better they're mm. both different and both come with uh, their underlying issues, but both come with like stuff that is really good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, no, it's a very kind of profound. Uh, it's a very simple yet very profound truth yeah. that Genley kind of comes to embrace about, not just about the convenience, but also about himself. Yeah. And, but fuck, man, all those scenes of them just walking through the <laughs> ice. I, I couldn't. I could, <laughs> I was like reading it. I'm like, I understand this is far, but do we have to see every inch of this travel? Like, <laughs> yeah, you really feel like you're on the freaking ice. Oh, man. Yeah. I, 
But yeah. if anything, it made those little moments when they stopped to talk to each other much better for me. Mm-hmm. Because, but oh man, just pages of like we traveled through the ice. I couldn't see the ice was strong. Oh, the ice! I'm like, oh my god, just get through the fucking ice already. <laughs> just get it over with. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it is both a, it is both a credit to her writing and also just yeah, it do, it does it does try the patience but of course that's the point it's a very long and arduous yeah. uh arduous journey and uh yeah and it just oh man the end when the end when estrovet is finally basically does a, a you know a suicide rush towards yeah. the, the border and is is shot and Genley's like cradling and cradling him in his arms like that's just for me, that's that's honestly one of the saddest scenes I've ever read. Like oh, that, that definitely got an emotional reaction from me too, because they they developed this really close friendship, and then mm-hmm. boom, like the guy's dead. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's just. Yeah, it, this book is honestly like, it's one of the few, it's one of the few science fiction novels I've ever read that's managed to like that's managed to provoke a, a a range of thought intellectually and also just right. hit me right in the gut emotionally. And it still, it still does every, every time I read it. And, you know, the, the first time I read this book, I was, uh, I was, you know, in the middle of high school, I was a teenager, just very slowly coming into an understanding of, of, you know, beginning to understand who I was. Right. Although, I mean, we're still understanding who we are as adults, but it was, the process was very, very, uh, you know, it was just, just beginning. And I, I, I had no conception of like <laughs> the difference between sex and gender, what gender identity really even, even was, even right, though right. I, I thought of myself as, as male because I'd been, you know, I was raised as male. So yep. it's like, it's a very, um, reading this book was kind of a, uh, it was a, a very, it just it changed my whole understanding of what uh, what these concepts even were and how they applied to me mm-hmm. and i and there are many many you know there's so many uh you know queer and, and trans people out there who've who've said that this book did kind of did the same for them it kind of a, it was sort of a reaffirmation of you know the com- the complexity of their own humanity as well right, right. um and it's funny to cons- to to say that considering you know that Le Guin also faced a little bit of criticism for not necessarily going far enough with the concept and you know constantly using he pronouns for the Athenians and kind of defaulting to what they thought was what they thought was a very male kind of uh, yeah but I mean for characters like Estrogen but. For something like that, I wouldn't fault her because it's mm. coming from Genli Ai's perspective, and he's the one who's calling them by these pronouns. Yeah, not that's her. True. So, it, it, if anything, that's more a commentary on how he sees the Cathinians and not how mm-hmm. she does. Yeah, exactly. And also, you know, she was just the fact that she did she put this out there. Yeah, at a time when. You know, at, at, at a time when people were only beginning to really talk about, OK, what is gender? What is this thing we call gender? What you know, how does it apply to, to us? And the fact that she was able to do that in our t- before 
the discussion of you know of trans of, of transsexuality non-binary uh or living outside the gender binary even became a part of mainstream discussion yeah um it paved the way for for so much and uh you know even for a even for a cis male dude like me like it it, it was and an, an, it was an incredible kind of eye-opening uh f- fictional exploration of what uh of what gender really is right and right. it still can it you know it still continues to to challenge me yeah you know? yeah and it's it's interesting too right because the Gathenians, uh because they don't since they have no specific sex right or no specific mm-hmm. gender uh, there's no gender roles or anything that exists. Everyone just kind of does everything. And to the point yeah. that even the Gathenians could both be a father and a mother in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Like they could both, uh, you know, give the seed or be the one carrying the baby. Uh, so like those lines are completely not just blurred, but gone. Right. Like there's no, yeah. there are no like divisions or lines. It's all mixed into one big melting pot together. And exactly. Yeah. yeah. Anyone can, anyone can do anything. Yeah. But know. then, but like, then that's what I feel is interesting too. that idea of individualism, right? Like when, mm. when everyone could kind of just do everything and basically it's the Gathenians almost come across as just a very uh, monochromatic type of people right Mm -hmm. where they all kind of blend in together and they all it's like imagine a world of just a bunch of like gray blobs kind of thing yeah um so i i do think like as much as it's definitely um paving the way like you said for all that stuff i do think there is still an interesting note about individualism that uh, is represented with genli ai who has his own like like you know like very much there's a lot of um with like personality and traits and all that that make up who he is while mm. all the Gathenians kind of blend in together with each other and I do think there's like an interesting mm. uh something interesting there too you know what I mean we're like I said yeah. like neither is better neither is right neither is wrong it's just mm. different right and it's just I yeah like that that idea of like individualism too I think is like an interesting idea to think of because I feel even today, if you look at it, people have become really obsessed with like labels, like labeling mm-hmm. themselves very specific things. So yeah, it's very clear that as people, as much as we want to be all equal, we do still want our sense of individualism. Like we are like, I am myself, you know, I am yeah. no one else. This is who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is how I identify as this is what I do. This is, this is the things I like, like, this is who I am. And I don't, it's like it's not necessarily like I don't want everyone to be like me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to be my own unique self. So I, I do think there's a nice, interesting uh, dichotomy there of like uh, mm-hmm. being your own individual self, but also at the same time, uh, you know, everyone kind of meshing together to be a, a whole. You know? Mm. Yeah, and that's something that uh, if I had to like if I had to identify a very common thread in Le Guin's work, it's probably of the of the books of hers that I've read. I yeah. think it would be that it would be that that kind of the impossible tension between individualism and collectivism. Yeah. You know, in every alien society that she has created, it's okay, well how do we how, how do we how do we live with each other in a way that is is beneficial to the common good? Yeah. And but still it but that still allows people to kind of 
be who they are. Right. And that's something that we're still, I mean, that's something that we're, we're still trying to figure out. Yeah. Well, that's really difficult. Huh? If you really think about yeah. it, because how can you, how can we all be truly equal when we all are our own individual person too? Right. It's, yeah. It's, it's a really tough, it's tough. And we, I mean, if we're going back in history too, with like, let's say, uh, you know, when communism started to rise, like back in the day, you know, when it first started to come up and the idea like, okay, everyone's equal. doesn't matter who you are. We're all getting treated the same, all getting paid the same, but then like doctors and teachers are like, well, why am I getting paid the same as this guy who's doing something that's not like, you know, as life's like something that's as important for society, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. it's like, so you still so there's like you said there's that battle between individualism and collectivism right where it's i don't you know because humans are so complex and society is so messed up like we're never i don't think we're ever gonna truly find like the best thing we can the best we can hope for is some kind of middle ground between yeah you know between communism and capitalism like those those really rigid extremes like it's there's got to be like yeah, the best we can hope for is some kind of imperfect b- balance between those two systems of power. Yeah. And, uh, and for some reason, even then, that might not even work. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, I, that's that's the thing. Like, I feel everything is good in theory, but in practice, that's where it all falls apart. Kind yeah. Of thing. Well, um, you'll never, you know, you'll never reach perfection. No. Especially not with something as complex as, you know, government politics. But yeah you aim for it and hope to gain it then yeah. you know it it motivates it gives you something just to, to strive towards at least yeah. uh just be a good person and just yeah. strive to be yeah. a good person every day um and, and i wanted to bring up it's funny that because you started mentioning aliens and it goes back to our other topic that we had the aliens topic oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> where we talked about aliens and how they're used as metaphors or portrayed in media right and it mm. comes back to this and i was thinking about it about the Athenians having this kind of um, collectivist ideal of like all sort of blending in together. And if you look at aliens throughout media, it's so interesting how they all look exactly the same, like within their species, it's not like humans that we all look very distinct. Um, Mm -hmm. but in movies and TV shows, when you meet an, when you meet aliens, all the aliens of that species all look exactly the same. Like if yeah. you, you know, in Star Wars, all the Jawas look exactly the same. All the Wookiees yeah. look exactly the same. Uh, uh, the aliens, true, yeah. the classic like gray head aliens, all look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of interesting that somehow, and I don't know if I, I think it was subconscious. I don't think it was something that they. They thought of, although if you think of like uh, invasion of the body snatchers, I mean, it brought up that whole fear of Reaganism and uh, communism, right? That that fear of that collectivist idea. Um, It's it's just interesting how every time we think of those species, they all look the same. And in here, it was something that was thought of like like she did it purposefully that they kind of blend together in that way. Yeah, yeah. There's that moment with uh, there's that that moment when Genley's talking to King Argaben and, and King and he's showing him pictures of what humans actually look what you know yeah. non-Gaffinian humans look like and Argaben goes like are they all as black as you and <laughs> it's a it's a surprising moment for two reasons one because up until that point you have no idea what Genley's ethnicity is 
Yeah. And then it's just suddenly revealed that, oh, okay, he's black. And like, it ain't no thing. Yeah. And, like, I didn't even know. I was like, all right. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and also that, you know, yeah, the, their society, Athenian society is very, eth- uh, you know, racially homogenous. Yeah. And that there's, whereas, you know, earthling society is, you know, there's a whole bunch of different, uh, different races and, and different, uh, different cultures so it's, yeah and uh, even then like we're mixing and blending cultures too so just it, so many people look so different yeah yeah uh, it's i guess really with aliens it, i think it's the same idea as like when we look at let's say like dogs or just any any type of animal right mm. they all kind of look the same to us right like if you look at a bunch of squirrels you're not going to be able to really <laughs> differentiate the two so i think that same attitude was applied when creating aliens this yeah. idea of like maybe they could tell each other apart but we wouldn't be able to you know now watch it turns out that squirrels ha- secretly have their own like <laughs> their own like denominations of like of faith like i'm a baptist i'm a protestant I'm a <laughs> oh my god one one's like i'm a satanist <laughs> um and, and it's funny i say that because let's be real like it happens with humans too like when we see people of other races that we're not really used to mm. you know they're the i hate to say it but there there is a it is hard to differentiate sometimes between uh, people like I, man, I, I sound terrible saying that, but like, it is kind of true. Like, I don't like, I recognize it as something that's not like a good thing, but like mm-hmm. when I was working at the day camp as a camp counselor, all the, the Chinese kids, they all looked the same to me. I, I had a really difficult time telling them apart that I had to like, remember what clothes they were wearing because they all look, they all look the same. And it's, it's just, I like, I'm not saying that in a funny way or, I mean, it it was just, I did have difficulty uh, cinema, like, well, once you, I'm sure once you got to know them, it became, yeah, yeah, no, once I got to know the kids, it was much easier. Yeah. hundred percent. But there was still those moments of like, oh boy, like, (laughs) you know, and, and I, I feel terrible saying that, but it is partly true. And I've, experienced it from people of other races too, where they've Mm. confused me with like other people who I was with, you know, who didn't look Mm. like me at all. They're like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like it it was like the same idea. So it's just kind of interesting how, how that happens, you know? Yeah. It was so weird for me because I'll tell you the first time I, the first time I ever went to to Sri Lanka with my, with my parents, I was It was a it was a complete shock to me because I had grown up, I grown up in a place where like everybody looks, you know, different and there's yeah. so many different kinds of people, uh, you know, with different, uh, you know, who look all look different, different skin tones and whatever, and to be in a place where everybody looked kind of sort of like me was, uh, it was pretty jarring, you know, and, and yeah. at first I did have that sort of like. I did have that instant of like, okay, who's, who's who here. But then I, of course I saw that like, okay, there are some that are some people that are darker than me, some people that are as fair as me. And you know, that, that kind of um, every place has its own little nuances. So it's, it comes with that, that awareness comes with, you know, prolonged 
immersion in a, in a society. Yeah, it, like it, there's that, like an adjustment period almost. Yeah. Uh, because like you said, we're so used to seeing a certain thing, you know, mm-hmm. like we're both living in Canada, North American yeah. society. So we're so used to seeing a widely North American looking people, mm-hmm. um, which is hard to really describe anyways, because there's so many immigrants, so many people of different cultures in North America, but, but yeah, this is like, it's such a, um, a mosaic of people that when you're thrown into a situation where it's very homogenized, right? It's all people of the exact same culture. And mm. there is that adjustment of like, you know, being able to differentiate because now you've, you've gone from uh, where you've seen so many different people looking different, different cultures and everything to suddenly everyone sort of dressed the same, having a same sort of look, uh, you know? It's, so yeah, there's definitely that sort of adjustment period of adapting to, to that. Yeah. And that's another great, I mean, that's another great thing about this book as well. I mean, with all of its, with all of its insights on, on, yeah. on gender identity as well, it's, it also kind of tells us that like, you know, we're, we're all going to have, we're all going to have an encounter with, with different culture, with cultures that are different from our own at some point. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to have to learn to learn how to interact with them. Yeah. And I don't think there's them. anything wrong with like, you know, being in that situation where you can't differentiate people because at least you recognize it. It's, it's all about like yeah. recognizing recognize- that, like, sorry, it, you know, not being like rude about it. Just kind of like being like, Whoa, okay. Hold yeah. on. Give me a minute you, here. Like I need to. You recognize in that situation that you yourself are an alien, are yeah. a stranger. 100%. Yeah. And, and that's what I, yeah. And on that with this story, that's, what's great about him and Esther Van, like forming that bond because Genli I does eventually come to an understanding of like, Oh, now I under, like, I get it. Like I accept you for who you are. And now I could, I could see who you are. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they they come to that understanding sort of with each other at some point. So, Mm -hmm. so it's nice to see, like, even in the book, like they, they both have that adjustment period of trying to understand how the other one is and then coming to that acceptance and just seeing the person for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite a, and that's the heart of, uh, it's the heart of the whole book, you know? So, so maybe I understood this book more than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Cause like I came into this, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then now that we start talking about it, I'm like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing how much, how much stuff becomes clear to you upon reflection. eh? Yeah. And also, I think it helps too, like discussion, like hearing you say some stuff will like, uh, you know, will will inspire something in my head to be like, oh, wait, yeah, now like that I didn't think of. But now that you've put it in my head, I'm like, oh, right. You know, (laughs) oh, I'm glad uh, I'm glad I could. uh, I'm glad I could contribute that (laughs) for sure. Well, that's why discussion is so important, right? Yeah. You, you, you make the other person see things that they didn't see. They allow you to see things you didn't originally see. And uh, mm-hmm. it's a discovery discussion, talking uh, words, words, words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess. Uh, oh, I guess this is as good a place as any. Yeah. Kind of, Do you have uh, any final point. thoughts on uh, on this book? Um, Left Hand of Darkness. Yeah, well, I think uh, you know there's a there's a very good reason why it's uh, it's considered a classic. It's beautifully written, and uh, for me, 
it uh yeah it, it continues to uh it was a reading it for the first time was a watershed moment in my my uh adolescence and uh it continues to inspire and challenge me even today yeah awesome that's that's wonderful like i i i can't say i have the same feelings towards this Mm. book uh that you do it didn't really connect with me in that way as much but you know also back to the individual they were both different people and different Mm. things connect with us right that was something that really meant a lot to you and for Mm. me i guess for me because i've always been very uh you know my my gender identity and just my identity as a person i've always been it's always been something I've known very well about myself. Like I've always been really mm-hmm. confident about, and I didn't really have any like insecurities or questions about that kind of stuff. So reading this didn't really uh, connect with me in that way because I already had that strong sense of indiv- like of who I am, you yeah. know, uh, that mm-hmm. strong sense of identity. So, uh, but I could definitely see like, how it can connect with people, especially how you described it. And it mm. makes me very happy to see that it affected you in this way. Mm. Uh, and to see that nice. this, this is something that really, you know, um, that really made an impact on you. So I recognize mm. that. And that makes me very, very happy that my good, good friend Vishesh <laughs> has, uh, has this book that he could uh, hold close to his heart. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, if you haven't, uh, you haven't, uh, for those of you who are listening, if you haven't read it yet, uh, but maybe we're curious about it. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend, uh, highly recommend going to your library and uh, and picking it up. Yeah. It's, and uh, uh, even for all of you who are probably more like me, I'd still recommend reading it because it's hmm. a classic and you know, it's just good to be cultured and well-read. <laughs> like. <laughs> Honestly, uh, like that's a guy. I think that's a good enough reason to read any book, like any of these books. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And who knows? Even if you don't feel like you're the type, uh, maybe you heard us talk about this and you're like, ah, oh, maybe it's not my kind of thing. Who knows? Maybe you'll read it and it'll affect you in a way that you never thought it would. So yeah, I have heard from a, I have heard from some people who are like, even from people who are like, eh, I don't really like science fiction. It's not my thing. Yeah. But I did read Left Hand of Darkness, and that was really good. Well, so there you go. Yeah. maybe that'll be your one. Maybe it'll be for those people. Maybe it'll be your one book in yeah. that genre that you kind of, you well, know. that's, that's <laughs> the beauty. That's why we're doing this, right? That's the beauty of art and yeah. how it connects with all of us in different ways. Sometimes in ways we didn't expect. Uh, sometimes we go into a work of art and we're like, eh, this doesn't sound like my thing. <laughs> and we leave it like, whoa, like, holy yeah. shit, that, that stuck with me. Or sometimes we go into one and we're like, oh my God, I know I'm going to love this. And we leave like, uh, oh yeah what was what that? Was that? <laughs> yeah and i'm not yeah i'm not really big into the sci-fi genre but i did enjoy uh trouble on triton which also deals with uh gender norms and gender identity because mm. they in the book they have the option to like change their genders or change like whenever they want like they can hmm. one day and be like, I want, I want to have like a uh, feminine, I want to have like woman's hips, but keep my male head or, and like the huh. main character does go through that transformation. Like he, he just changes completely, even down to his DNA, which is a really difficult process. Oof. So I like, it's, it's, it's interesting that uh, it's talked about there too. And the idea of like gender norms too is talked about. So, hmm. and I like that one. I really like, yeah, I liked trouble on Triton. That was a, that was a fun read. Okay, I'll have to pick that up. 
Yeah, you've been, been talking about it. You should. I, I'm not suggesting it for an episode, but like <laughs> I'm definitely suggesting it for you. Like if you yeah. love Left Hand of Darkness, uh, you'll enjoy Trouble on Triton. I think. Like, I will definitely pick much. it up. It's it's been on my list for years. Oh, you so, got it, uh, man. That, I will what definitely. For? I'll definitely. Get, I'll definitely read it very yeah. soon. And of course, my favorite sci-fi book is uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh yes, I, I, the best. The best. Uh, timeless reminder not to panic <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's basically with bard and mew that's what i'm doing it i'm doing like what hitchhikers mm. did to sci-fi i'm doing to fantasy kind of thing i like, could i could kind of sense that in the opening yeah. pages that you sent me i was like oh <laughs> yeah this is a very sort of like quirky absurd kind of douglas adams-esque yeah energy well, to it. <laughs> yeah he's definitely a big inspiration on me for sure i'm, I'm guessing we'll probably i'm guessing there will probably be an episode on him in the future for the uh, yeah yeah i would definitely recommend uh at least the first hitch i won't recommend the whole series because <laughs> you know even they're short books though it's not like they're that hard to get yeah through. but no i'd yeah. probably focus on like the first book and make allusions and like talk about the other books vaguely yeah but that first book is really the one but yeah. that's um not what i'm choosing for next time though okay um, so for the next episode since it's my pick uh yep. so we've done movies mm-hmm. we've done a book now mm-hmm. so how about another medium completely music sweet and i'm picking an album uh okay. this is I, I often consider it my number one album in the same vein that uh, Airplane is my number one movie mm. uh, from my favorite band. So it's definitely my favorite album from my favorite band. And that is Devo's album from 1982. Oh, no, it's Devo. Oh, no, it's Devo. Okay. Yes. So that's uh, it's uh, 1982. It's synth pop, new wave. Uh, being Devo, obviously they have punk attitudes and what they're doing. Um, okay. It's a fun, fun album. And I highly suggest watching, uh, the tour that they did too. Like, um, the, the live, uh, the live, uh, fuck, I can't speak. (laughs) I highly suggest watching the, the live concert too. They did it in 3d and it's, it, 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 it's a good, like sort of companion piece to the album. So I do highly suggest that. Okay, great. Yeah, I just uh, pulled it up on Wikipedia here, and uh, yeah, perfect. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I am looking forward to uh, diving into the weird, wild world of Devo. Yeah, (laughs) and it's short. It's like 32 minutes, the album, so... Okay. Yeah, you you could get through that like nothing. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess, uh, yeah, I will be looking forward to to talking about that. I know Devo is a very, very important... uh, very, very important band for you. Big yeah. artistic inspiration from day one. So uh, I'm really looking forward to diving, in, diving awesome. into that. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. To, to hear your thoughts on it. But until mm-hmm. then, I'm Bosco. I'm Vishesh. And this was for the love of media. Bye. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. Bye. 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 Bye.